our new bestie has changed how we track our investments. Why have over 400,000 investors chosen ShareSite? It's simple. This online investment dashboard for your investment portfolio supports over 500,000 stocks, ETFs, and funds, plus integrated with more than 200 platforms, ensures your entire investment portfolio is organized and accessible in one place. Move beyond the limited insights from brokerage statements. ShareSite offers a comprehensive view of your financial performance, including analyzed reports, dividend gains, and the impact of currency fluctuations, all through intuitive graphs and visualizations. But here's the best part. For the investee besties out there, ShareSite is offering a special deal. Save four months when you purchase an annual premium plan. It's time to dive deep into performance metrics, streamline tax reporting, and share your portfolio with ease. Join the link in the episode description to sign up to ShareSite now and transform your investment experience. Welcome to Girls That Invest. You're joined today by your hosts, Sam and Sonia, two millennial investors who are here to help you learn about all things investing and personal finance. Hello, Simran. Hello, Sonia. Hi. I am so excited for this week's episode. What I really love is like being able to get into the nitty gritty of like, you know, those ads, like I'm such a sucker for those ads that are like, did you know your doctor was doing this? And I'll just be like, what, what was my doctor doing? Teach me, tell me what were they doing wrong? I need to know. Also, if you are my doctor and you're listening, I love you. I know you have been taking care of me for like 25 years, but this week we are talking about dishonest broker tactics that you should know and avoid. Have you ever in your life been scammed, Sonia? See, I feel like now that I've been put in this position, I can't recall a time I've been scammed, but I probably have. Have you not? I don't know. I can't think of... Guys, I'm just so smart. I could never be scammed. I feel like we should not put that into the universe because someone's going to be like, I can prove that wrong. Like, I, (laughs) that is a challenge. My dad's been scammed. Oh my God, yes. Tell me why this man gave his credit card details to someone calling him up and being like, hey, this is Microsoft. (laughs) The guy doesn't even use Microsoft on a day-to-day basis. So why would Microsoft be calling <laughs> Do you know what? My uncle got scammed and they were like, hey, congratulations, you've won like $10,000 to claim your prize, just send over $2,000. My uncle was like, all good, just take like $2,000 off the $10,000 and just give me eight. And they just hung up on him. Oh my God. See, yeah, I don't know. And like no money was taken in my dad's incident. Like nothing happened. We just had to get rid of his credit card and my mom was furious like the fury that she had is something to be talked about but at least your uncle was smart enough to outscan the scammer that's what we're here to teach at girls and that's not our entire brand i'm kidding <laughs> today we are talking about broker tactics that you need to know that you need to avoid because listen if you're investing in your putting your money into a broker, an online broker is just a place where your money goes to. Some popular brokers include like Perler in Australia or Robinhood in the US or Fidelity or Wildsimple in Canada, you know, Hargraves in the UK, wherever you live in the world, you've probably used a broker to have your money invested. Some brokers are people that you can talk to when they invest on your behalf. Most of them are just like online platforms, but there's a few things that brokers do that can be a little bit 
conniving, a little bit sneaky. And the reason I wanted to talk about this is because you might have invested for like three years, five years, and not even realize that something was a little bit fishy because we don't really talk. Like we're not like, hey, my broker did this. Does yours do that? We never really compare that with each other. And so we don't even have a frame of reference of like what is normal, but we are here to break it down for you. We are here to share with you exactly what you should be looking out for and what you should be avoiding. Because look, at the end of the day, we are not here to get scammed. We are not here to lose money. We are here to invest, to grow wealth. That is the plan. So you know what? We're not going to waste time. We're just going to get straight into it. The first one is churning. Now, this is more of a concern if you have a person acting as a broker, if you're working with, let's say, a financial advisor and they've got a broker working on behalf of you, or you've got a personal broker in the investing account that you are with. Churning is also known as overtrading and is when a broker trades too much in your account just to earn a bigger commission. So for example, you might be someone that is busy, you don't have a lot of time, time anymore. You can't invest for yourself. And you might say, hey, I would love it if you just invested for me. And these are my goals. This is what I want to invest for. This is how much I'm investing. And can you just take care of it? And some brokers are like, yeah, of course. So they get full control of your account and they get paid well to invest for you, which is amazing. But if they trade more often, they get paid more often. And so even like a single pointless trade can be seen as churning. It's taken quite seriously if someone is like, okay, like Sonia is my client and Sonia wants to invest $500 per month into a couple of funds and maybe some individual shares. You're like, awesome. That's the plan. And then if you notice that they start adding extra companies that you didn't really expect them to and they're selling and buying a lot more often than let's say a couple of shares within a single like quarter. That's quite a big churn. And so if you notice activity but not really noticing any growth in your investments, that is when you're alert. That is when you're like, hey, I just want to have a chat. But it's a little bit awkward. Like how do you have that conversation? I just want to say that from the way that you're describing it, isn't it glaringly obvious when someone is doing this? It's the people that don't, okay, this is just completely naive of me. I'm just going to react. This is my raw reaction to this churning situation. If I wasn't looking at my investments once a quarter, maybe I was looking at it once a year. Do you think these people from like January to December, if that's the financial year that you're in, they're like, this is what happened in January. This is what happened in February. This is what happened in March. This is what I did in April. This is what I, do they do that? Or is it up to me to be like, what have you done this month? Just imagine like, you know, you're getting married and you give your bridesmaids tasks and you're like, hey, can you take care of the hen's night, the bridal party night, the like bachelorette night? I feel like because we're across so many different countries in the world, we have to like now emphasize like all the different variations. Like I don't think people call them hens in anywhere else except for like Australia, New Zealand. Yeah, they call it bachelorette in North America. Exactly. So let's say you've given someone else your bachelorette party to organize. They're not going to tell you every single month, like we organized this, we did that, we did that. Like their job is to take care of it for you with the budget that you've given them. But 
if you don't keep a little tab, if you're not, hey, let's just make sure nothing dodgy is being booked. Let's make sure we're going to like an establishment that I would want to actually go to. You're going to end up with a crappy bachelorette party. And I just want to preface that Sonia and I have never had a bachelorette party, so we are not coming with experience in this regard. But it's the idea that even if you delegate something like your investments, you still need to keep an eye on it. You don't have to be checking every day, but once a quarter, have a look, have that call with them and just ask them why they made decisions. You don't have to come across like accusatory, like, hey, why did you invest in that? That's like not okay. But just like, hey, I'd love to learn like why you chose to I've noticed like we bought like five extra shares this month, whereas last month we didn't really do that. Like, could you help me understand why? And if you do think this is a concern or if you're someone like me that gets anxiety about problems that haven't even occurred yet and you want to make sure that you can sort yourself out now, you can think about a wrap account. So a wrap account is where a broker is paid a set yearly fee, which makes them focus on the beneficial trades for you as opposed to getting a dollar or two every time they make a trade because the more trades they make, that's not always in the best favor of you. And also more trades actually statistically is worse for your investments. The more you trade, the worse off you often do. And so having a wrap account or asking them to move to a set fee yearly, that's the way to go. And that is something you really need to watch out for because it is quite dishonest. Mm I think sometimes people get to a point of wealth and they might even notice that this is happening, but they're like, you know what? My broker deserves this extra commission. Sonia, that's just you. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I feel like you would do that. I feel like you'd be like, I am being scammed, but why not? (laughs) Yeah, I know. Sonia's like, they have a family to feed. They deserve the money, honestly. And who am I? I feel like you laid that out really nicely. You laid out the identifying signs and then you also provided the solution. My solution is just going to be think twice before <laughs> taking your broker's opinion on it because for my one dishonest broker practice, because I feel like we've talked largely about the red flags often But one thing that you might not be aware of is brokers convincing their clients to purchase particular stocks, particular investments, because it will be profitable because of an upcoming dividend payment. But in reality, that just gets the brokers more money in fees. Oh. Yeah. Girl, have you heard of this? I haven't. Yeah. Well, firstly, I just want to explain for a bit of context, a dividend is like a little bonus that some companies will give to their shareholders. And it's essentially a thank you for, hey, thank you for investing in this company. We appreciate you. Companies aren't obligated to do this every year, even if they've been doing it for 20 years, one year, they might turn around and be like, hey, I'm actually not going to pay you dividends this year. There'll be reasons, of course, and they will explain it. They're not going to explain it like I did. But when brokers use dividend selling as a tactic, they're trying to convince you like, hey, look how good this deal is. Like you can get this dividend payment if we make this investment now. And in reality, they're just trying to generate commissions for themselves by selling their clients on a quick and easy gain. 
I'm going to put this into an example for you because I feel like that was just a bunch of words. And if you don't have an example, it's not going to make much sense. So just say that you have a company that's trading at $50 per share and they're about to pay a $2.50 per share annual dividend. Look, this is a very simple example. If your broker is trying to convince you to get $2.50, that is a separate conversation. Why do they think that you are so out of sorts that you need to have this $2.50? That's separate issue. So a broker could be like, here, you get this $2.50 per share and they're selling it to you because they're like, you get a 5% return. In actuality, you're not going to make this return at all. What ends up happening is that the stock price will decrease by $2.50, which is like the dividend when it trades after. So ex-dividend. In essence... You as a client, you're going to gain very little in the short term. And then that transaction, because they've convinced you to do it before they pay out the dividend, it could also create a tax liability for you. And I feel like my solution there would just be to think twice and to think about the actual return. It's okay to question things. It's okay to be like, hey, interesting, you want me to buy this dividend stock. Do you think this is a good option for me long term because yes it's going to give me money it's a quick buck I love that but is this in line with my long-term investing strategy because if it's not then that's an issue and then that creates even more trading when they're like oh okay the dividend has passed now let's go sell it off and now they're also creating extra churning like it's just it's a double whammy I just don't think most brokers And this can be a good or bad thing. I just don't think most brokers expect their clients to have a lot of questions because to them, sometimes it's like, you're paying me to do a job. And if you don't trust me, then what is this relationship? Because I think it would be silly for us to think that you can ask all these questions, which you should be able to, by the way, like it's not a bad thing, but then the broker not feel some type of way because it's almost like them being questioned on what they're supposed to be really good at. But like, if you go to the doctor, your doctor will explain out to you like why they recommend something. And it's not weird if you're like, hey, like I've noticed that you want to put me on like this medication and not that medication. A good doctor will always be like, yeah, of course, let me take time to explain why I am giving you the service. Like, I think people in the service industry, if you are a doctor, if you are a broker, if you are an accountant, a lawyer, if you are dealing with clients, If you make your client feel bad for asking questions because you worry that they are undermining your authority, then are you really doing what's in their best interest? But I hear you. I think you've got to find like a balance. You don't want to be accusatory every time that they make a trade and you're like, why? And they're like, literally back off. For business owners, every transaction is more than just a swipe of the card. It's the culmination of your hard work, dedication, and commitment to your customers. That's why I'm excited to share with you a game-changing solution that's simplifying the way businesses like yours accept payments. Introducing Tap to Pay on iPhone, powered by Stripe. Contactless payments has never been easier. You can seamlessly accept contactless payments directly from your iPhone, and the best part, there's no additional hardware required. 
Think about it. From local pop-ups to global retailers, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe cater to businesses of all sizes, empowering them to accept payments right from their iPhones. It's a game changer for businesses looking to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup that takes minutes, not days. So how can Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe benefit your business? It's simple. Increased revenue, expanded reach and enhanced customer experience. It's a win-win-win. To learn more about how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can transform your business, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone today. Yeah. I feel like if someone is on the receiving end of your questions and they're taking it as that, as accusatory, then that's also pretty telling about what they're doing and how their tactics are. Like if you're questioning your broker on certain things, you're questioning your advisor on certain things and they're fully in defense mode and then they start attacking you let's just add that as a tactic manipulation (laughs) if you get gaslit that is a sign that you should probably not be with your broker the third thing that really stands out when it comes to finding brokers that are maybe not acting in your best interest is if they are withholding recommendations to invest at a break point now let me explain what that means in more simpler terms think about it if you are with a company they will often charge you a fee when you put money into certain investments and what they'll do is they will sort of say up to $25,000 we will charge you 5%. But if you put in more money and let's say you put in $50,000, that 25 to 50K, that next sort of tier will only charge you 4%. And if you want to invest even higher, you will be charged even less fees. And so you want to invest at that $25,000 mark, right? Like if you are being told $24,000, you are charged 5%. $26,000, you are charged 4%. It would Makes sense for you to be like, okay, well then give me the $26,000. But some advisors who aren't acting in your best interest, they will want to make more money. So they might suggest for you to invest just under that $25,000 mark. They'll be like, hey, I think for you, $24,999 is the best amount of money that you should invest in. This way they will earn more and they will be charging you a higher fee. And they'll also be able to sometimes scatter your money across different companies, even if they do the same thing, just to stop you from hitting those discount points and stop you from saving money and so the end what it means is they're going to be earning more and you are paying more which just it's not cool we're not a fan of it it is not cool guys guys if your broker is lying to you and not letting you invest more because they get charged more that's uncool it's so uncool do you know sometimes I just feel like when we talk about things, it's a very Kim Kardashian-esque of explaining. Like sometimes she'll explain the most traumatizing thing that's happened and she'll finish it off with, it just really wasn't kind. It just really wasn't cool. It's actually extremely like not fetch to be withholding recommendations to invest at breakpoint for your clients. Period. I have a two for one as the last point because I feel like I want to talk about both of them and expand on them a little bit. The first one is hidden fees, which I think kind of goes hand in hand with what you've just said. I think lack of fee transparency is not okay, obviously. It's not cool. 
But I think in 2023, 2024, as we're heading into the next year, I just feel like there's no excuse for you to explain to me why you're charging me for something. Wait, what do you mean by that? Like, you don't want to be charged for any service? No, that is not what I mean by that, actually. (laughs) I mean that if you are charging me for a service, you're charging me, for example, an admin fee. What does that mean? Like, what is the admin? Sometimes this is a separate note, but I really just wanted to squeeze it in here. Sometimes you go out to a restaurant in Toronto and you'll look at the receipt and they charge you an admin fee. What is the admin fee? Like, are you punching in the numbers? Like, I, at this point, I'll do it because it's a 5% fee. Oh, 5%. Is that different to the tips that you pay? Absolutely. Okay. We're not anti-tips on this podcast. No, no, no. I like tip too much, actually. I've been told <sighs> off a few times about it. But I am anti the admin fee at a restaurant. Like, it's the same thing with your broker, guys. <laughs> if you have... <laughs> Fees out the wazoo and you don't know why you're paying fees. I think that is a huge red flag. I think in a lot of different countries, in New Zealand and Australia, we have new financial advice laws that are there to protect the consumer. So they have to be transparent about a lot of things. And if you notice these behaviors, you notice them not being able to explain a fee to you. I think in some cases, girl, take that to court. Why not? Because if they're doing it to you, who else are they doing it to? Are you just trying to find recruitment to help you take on the Toronto hospitality industry for your service fees? Yeah, I'm actually scared because, like, what if people don't agree? (laughs) (laughs) They're like, no, we need to pay an admin fee. But the second thing I wanted to chat about is pressure and sales tactics. And I feel like there's levels to this and... We have discussed pressure tactics on the gram in a few previous episodes, but it's not a secret that sales environments are very highly competitive and people who work in those environments can be under a tremendous amount of pressure. And your advisors, especially if they're not self-employed and they're working for a company, they'll probably have KPIs and sales targets that they need to meet. And that's going to impact the clients that they work with to some degree. And I feel like some people will use the tactics that we've spoken about today and in a means to hit their KPIs. And I think if you're not looking at it for a tactic on its whole, I feel like a lot of red flags come from wording. So for example, if they're saying things like, if you don't act now, you're going to miss out on a limited time opportunity, or you need to invest now, and they're really hounding you to make a decision. I feel like that is a sign that you should just pause, maybe call them out on it, be like, we haven't talked about this ever, and now you're pressuring me to make this decision in two days, in a week, like that's not enough time with everything else that I have going on to like review this. I think that is something to think about as well. I also want to preface, like as we're doing this episode, I am realizing that we love brokers and we want to make it very clear that we think financial advisors and investment brokers are really great because they help you 
in ways that if you're not comfortable investing, like someone to hold your hand, but with anything in the same way that you're kind of cautious about your mechanic that you work with, you also want to be cautious about your broker and you want to make sure that they're making you feel as if you are in a safe place where you can ask questions and they are acting in your best interests. And I personally, when or if I ever consider like working with someone, I always look for people that are working on a fee-based salary. And so it's like, hey, if they get a client, I'm paying them like $500 an hour or something as opposed to 1% or 2% or 20% of my entire portfolio because it's just how can anyone ever say that they are unbiased completely if they are taking a commission? Even if you want to be unbiased, if you're like, hey, I'm working with Sonia and she really wants to retire early and yeah, there is this like one fund that would help her get there, but I only get like $20,000 if she does that. But if I give her this other fund where I can get $50,000, I'm going to start thinking about how that impacts me more than I'm thinking about how quickly Sonia retires. And if anything, if Sonia takes longer to retire, that means she's just working with me longer. I think as you get older, you kind of notice ways that people operate that way. So I am in complete agreement with the whole situation. Two things come into mind that I want to say. One, literally this was a conversation that we were having on a night out A friend said to me, we have a family financial advisor. I never ask him questions. I feel like I can never ask him questions, but he's just so good. What does that mean? Like, I don't know what that means in a sense of like, why do you think he's so good? Because I asked that. I was like, what makes him so good? And she just didn't have an answer. And she was like, oh my gosh. Now I need to run to my dad or run to my mom and be like, what the hell are we doing? Because we've just been blindly trusting him because he's been with the family for so long, but I actually can't come up with another reason besides loyalty that he's good. And I was just like, that's so interesting because I think sometimes people do that with a lot of things. Like for example, your hairdresser is just like the meanest person alive, but they know how to cut layers really well and you just deal with it you know is your hairdresser mean to you no I don't have a hairdresser I barely get trims like once a year I'll be like I need to cut my hair and then it's like the most dramatic cut ever because I just want to (laughs) start over it's a rebirth yeah it's a rebirth I think trusting your advisor and the person that you're working with for your finances for your future it's a huge deal and I think you should treat it as such there's no point in lacking interest in it because that's going to only affect you. And I think if you think showing interest might make them feel a particular way to circle back, if I may, to what we said earlier, I think it's a red flag. At the end of the day, when it comes to trying to find honest brokers, there are so many out there. I would say 99% of them are honest. Like It is very rare for you to come across someone that isn't really working in your best interest, but look, they do exist and it is important for you to know. And the four most important things to be looking out for is churning, making sure that they're investing on your behalf in a way that is not too inconsistent with the norms. Next is selling you dividends or encouraging you to buy dividends when it's not, again, reaching your goals and it's not really helping you. Anyone that's trying to get you a quick buck is trying to get themselves a quick buck. Withholding recommendations to invest at a breakpoint is 
is also a concern. And this is regardless of if you're working with a person or a larger online broker, making sure that they're not having pressure tactics and hidden fees where there is a lack of fee transparency. You want to be knowing how they're making money off you. If you're working with a broker and they're like, hey, we don't charge anything in trading fees. If you buy or sell shares, we don't charge you. They're charging you somewhere else somehow and you want to go look into it and if you cannot find easily on their website what they're doing, that is a red flag. Now, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If we've been able to help in any way, please take a screenshot, put it up on your Instagram story, tag girls that invest. It means the world to us and it helps us share the message around the world and we are so thankful. I'll see you next week, Sonia. See you next week, Sim. Bye. Bye. And as always, to finish off with our disclaimer, Girls That Invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs. We are not financial advisors. The advice from Girls That Invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. Advice from Girls That Invest is general in nature and does not consider individual circumstances. Always do your research and please use your due diligence. Alrighty, till next time team, bye.